0: about missions. This is going to be the last uh, message in this series on missions. I hope it's been uh, interesting to you, informative, challenging, and has helped you to see maybe missions in a little bit different light. Not, I mean, it, you can't reinvent the wheel, but what, what we're trying to do here at New Life is take that missions mentality that goes out into the world, and bring it here into our local church. And to see our mission field here in the greater Springfield area with the same passion and fervor and need as we do when we see the pictures when missionaries share or we watch videos or we see when Craig Olson goes to Nepal and uh, ministers out there, how that stirs our heart. We want that same feeling here uh, when we talk about our ministry, when we talk about missions here at home. Now, this will be the last message in this series, as I said. The next two Sundays, I'm off. Uh, I was supposed to have surgery tomorrow, but uh, the governor has postponed surgeries, all elective procedures indefinitely. So uh, (laughs) probably, probably sometime in February or March, I guess. But because of... Our uh, unique circumstances over the last nine days I've uh, decided to go ahead and keep that time off in place and uh, so Zach will be preaching uh, the next two Sundays Osvaldo will be doing the Wednesday night uh, Bible study over the next three weeks and uh, we're going to take that time as a family to kind of adjust for those of you who don't know uh, we took uh, placement of two teenage girls. They were here with us. They're here with us this morning. Uh, and our our goal for them uh, is adoption. Their goal right now is not adoption, but that's what we're working towards. And uh, so we are in the, we're in the process right now of rearranging the house, getting it suited for a family of six as opposed to a family of four. And uh, spending that time between now and the beginning of the new year, uh, trying to adapt and adjust. It's going to be a good time. But We started talking about local, and, uh, about missions, and this sermon that, that we're ending this series with last week and this week is called All Missions is Local. With the question, or the statement, I guess, we want to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. I think... I believe that every human being has a desire in their heart. Uh, I think it was C.S. Lewis that described it as a God-shaped hole in our spirit. We can try to fill it with everything. We try to fill it with anything. But the only thing that will fit there is God. And after fighting and searching and all kinds of stuff, whatever it is, whatever pursuit you have tried in your life, if you have come to that realization that what is missing in your life is Jesus, then you know exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> Even if you've served Christ for years and then walked away and had a time away from him where you've, you've been on your own, doing your own thing, following your own plan, trying to fill up your own purpose. And then come to the realization that, well, that's just empty, that's void, that's just a treadmill, you'll never get anywhere that way, and then it's time to come back to Jesus, well, then you know what we're talking about. But how does that translate from a knowledge in our head and a passion in our heart to ministry? How does that translate working from the outside in? How does that translate from taking the missions mentality, the missions zeal of reaching the world for Christ to bringing that back down home, to reaching our community for Christ? That's what we started talking about last week. I'm going to finish it up this week. If you'd stand with me as we read our text today, if you're able to. John chapter 12, beginning of verse 21, we read, so they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested of him, sir, we want to see Jesus. Sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus replied to them, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it, And the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. You may be seated. I love the turn of phrase that Jesus uses there, the concept of the word picture he creates for us when he says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it won't produce fruit. I think Jesus was referring to himself, talking about how he was going to, he was, he was born to die, and he was going to die, and because of his death, there would be the fruit of all eternity, the fruit of humanity. But I believe he's also talking about us that if we, as human beings, as followers of his, we will give up our life, the one that we have designed for ourselves, the one that we have planned for ourselves, the one that we have directed for ourselves. If we'll take that life and put it aside and embrace the life, the passion, the, the purpose, the, the road, the path that he has for us, then we'll find life in him. And that life is the life that will produce Fruit. And all of this is wonderful, man. I mean, it's all it's it's so great to read the words and so great to, to talk about the pictures that he paints and the stories he tells. But how do you take what is in here and translate it to out there? Andrew Blasno said, an idea not coupled with action will never get any bigger. And the brain cell it occupied. So, having ideas and having conversations and, and talking about things and putting things on paper is great. But what we're wanting to do is put action to our words, put action to our ideas. Now, I, I wrote this out and it was on the screen last week. And it's a statement of what I believe missions is and how a missions program needs to be built It says, all missions begins in the local church, with local church people, with the desire to reach the local community and extends itself outward as it successfully builds a foundation and program that is strong enough, effective enough, and functional enough to support every opportunity to reach a community that presents itself. That is exactly what we need to do here. It's great to reach the world. It truly is. My heart was so touched by the if you If you follow Craig Olson, our missionary with man, if you follow him at all and you saw his pictures and you read the stories that he told of the ministry going on in, in, uh, in Nepal, <clears throat> and he hasn't, that's the first time he's been able to be there since, uh, since uh, COVID. It was amazing. It was phenomenal. It was awesome to see the fruit of the ministry of people who have given their lives in service. Are we seeing those same results? Does it stir our hearts to say, that's awesome what's over there, and I'm glad that, I'm thrilled to death. It it warms my heart and my spirit to see great things happening in Nepal and see that my church has a part in that. But are we doing the same thing here? Are we passionately pursuing those same kind of results here? And if not, why not? Now, last week I gave you a whole bunch of statistics that talked about the need in our area. And I'll repeat a couple of them for you, a few of them. Springfield Holyoke is the most post-Christian city in America at 66%. The Springfield-Holyoke metropolitan area. Area of about 650,000 people, 66%. Fully two-thirds of the, the Springfield metropolitan area are considered post-Christian. There's about 15 different criteria that they have to meet in order to be uh, considered post-Christian. Here's a few of them. Percentage of residents that have not read their Bible in the last week, 87%. Have not attended a Christian church in the last six months, 65%. Here's the big one have never made a commitment to Jesus. We would call that accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior, becoming born again, asking Jesus Christ into your heart and making Him your Savior. Not going to church, not being a church member, not doing good deeds. Have you ever made a commitment of your, of your soul, of your life, to Jesus Christ? Of the Springfield, Metro, Springfield, Holyoke metropolitan area, fully 60% said no. Have not prayed to God in the last week? 47%. Disagree that faith is important in their lives? 41%. And do not believe in God? 11%. Truly, the words of Matthew 9, 38, 37 and 38, where Jesus said the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest are for such a time as this. It's for such a time as this. Can I I just share this with you? This is blunt, blunt. It may sound angry. It's not. It may sound cynical. It's not. It may sound negative. It's not. I mean this with all my heart. The cavalry is not coming to New England. You understand that? The cavalry is not coming here. We are not going to see a massive influx of church planters to come into the New England region, to the Springfield Holyoke, the most needy, the most spiritually dark metropolitan area of this country, we're not going to see them come in. Just not going to happen. People try. People have tried in the past. When my father moved up here to New England, when we moved up here in 1976, my father uh, started this church. A host of people. There was a flood of church planters to come to the New area. I can't count on my fingers and toes the amount that left within the first year. Multitudes. Left because it's too hard. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes work. You're not going to have a jamboree roundup and see the neighborhood show up and everybody excited about the new flavor of church in town. You know why? Because 66% of our people in our Springfield metro area are past that. They're just past that. The cavalry isn't coming to rescue New England. We are the cavalry. We are the cavalry. New life is the cavalry. We are the ones that need to understand if our friends and neighbors, if our community is going to come to know Jesus Christ, if we're going to see a passionate fire burn, hey man, call it a great awakening if you want, the, the, the third or fourth or fifth, however many you want to say now, great awakening in the Springfield metro area, Call it whatever you want. If it's going to start, it's going. if it's going to happen, it's going to start with us. We are going to, us and churches like us, are going to be the reason that this area turns around for Jesus Christ. What's going to have to happen for that to happen is there needs to be a revival in the church. There needs to be a revival in the church and there needs to be a renewal in the church. And... I believe there's a whole lot of people, a whole lot of believers, a whole lot of followers of Christ in our area that are revived, that are on fire, that are renewed, that are ready to serve, but they just don't know what to do. They're just looking for direction. That's why I say invite your friends out, man. Don't be shy. Invite them to come to New Life. All they can do is say no. All they can do is come and visit and say, it's not my cup of sunshine. Just invite them out. We need to connect the army of Jesus Christ to the church so that we can get this massive army in motion. Reality is that we're living directly on a mission field. Now, we got through point number one and started number two. Point number one, I've already given you the statistics. How are we going to do this? We need to see the reality and acknowledge the need okay that, that is a given if you don 't think there's a need, if you don 't see the reality around you, if you don 't understand the great need, spiritual need, the spiritual desert that Springfield Holyoke is, then you 're missing the point. By the way, we could extend that down to Hoya, down to Hartford and encompass the entire Hartford Metro area because that's only 22 miles away, and that makes a two million person population, <clears throat> and that would that, that would surpass. Well, that that would be that would still be in the top three if we brought Hartford, Hartford into it, because eight out of the ten most post Christian cities in America are up here in the Northeast. So. <clears throat> We need to see the reality and acknowledge the need. The second point we started last week and this was this is where the rubber meets the road. Listen, if you've been here for any length of time, if you've had me as your pastor for any length of time, you know that I'm not shy about speaking what I feel and think and when the Holy Spirit lays something on my heart, I'm going to say it. I may not always be the most tactful. I'm pretty blunt. And that continues. (laughs) Because I believe that if we're going to acknowledge a problem, we've got to acknowledge it. We don't need to dance around the issue. We don't need to try to tickle people's ears and make them feel good. We need to paint the picture the way the picture needs to be painted. If it's dire, if it's stark, that's the way it needs to be represented. So the second thing we've got to do is this. We've got to accept their doubt, skepticism, and apathy. I just can't do that, Pastor. I just can't. It just angers me so much. Okay, well that's on your flesh level. Right? That's on your flesh level. The struggle we have is there's many people within our ranks that are right there. And we want to argue the point. We don't want to listen. We want to be right. Do you know how many people in the 20 to 30-year-old age group we've turned away from the church in our, in our desperate effort to be right? We don't want to be seekers of truth. We want to be makers of a point. We don't want to be conversationalists. We want to win arguments. And because we've done that, We've driven away a generation or two. And they haven't stayed idle. They have searched for something to fill that God-shaped hole. Some of them have found it. Now, it still doesn't fit, and they're still still just yearning within themselves, and there's still that agitation, and there's still that, that friction in their souls. If you ever talk to them you have a conversation? Zach and I talk about this all the time. We have conversations with people, uh, young people that he used to minister to in, in the youth ministry, young people I used to minister to, people that used to go to our church, people that we used to know from other churches, and they'll talk to you, and it's like, it's like they're spitting nails all the time because there's an anger inside, and that anger is bubbling up. They don't understand it. That anger is because they're not satisfied with what they're pursuing because nothing will satisfy the human heart but Jesus Christ. He's the only answer. He's the only solution. You can pursue anything you want. You can pursue money. You can pursue fame. Listen, man, you don't know how many people have come up to me over the last week and said, thank you. You're a hero. You and your wife. You're, you're God sends." Listen, man, I didn't take two teenage girls. I didn't take four kids into my house because I wanted to be a superstar. I didn't do it to be a hero. I didn't do it to get accolades. I didn't even do it to get a thank you. You know why I brought those four kids into our home? Because they needed a home. They needed love. (laughs) Someday, someday sit down and talk with a child that's been through the foster care system. That's a fresh slice of hell, folks. And you tell me how you can have an empty bedroom and two teenage girls say, please, can we come live with you? Would you be our mom and dad? And how can you you tell me how you'll say no to that? That's a cold heart. They'll say no to that. In my opinion. We don't do these things to be superstars. We do these things because they're the right thing to do. Because Jesus has laid on our hearts a burden to reach the community. A burden to reach people. And reaching people isn't a program. Reaching people isn't a plan on paper. Reaching people is one foot in front of the other, hand to hand, heart to heart, a hug, a kiss on the head, an encouraging word, a shoulder to cry on, a face to yell at, whatever is needed to help people get through what they're getting through. Listen, that's just not foster kids. That's people here in this church. We want to argue and we want to prove our point and we want to show how spiritually intelligent we are and we want to show how amazingly uh, gifted we are in the realm of biblical knowledge when what we don't understand is they're looking for attention. They're looking for somebody to hear them. They have honest questions. And they're looking for honest answers. Or you know what else? They're looking for an honest I don't know. I don't know. Ever deal with teenagers? Teenagers. They come up with some of the craziest, weirdest, wackiest, (laughs) off the wall, just downright, how in the world did you come up with that thought questions. That's what I love about them. That's what I I love about teenagers. They are so unpredictable. And, And I think the best thing about teenagers is this. They try to shock you, right? They are like the original shock jocks. They want to shock you with everything they say. When you look at them, when you you listen to their story, when you listen to their thoughts with a stoic face, and just say, oh, okay. Man, it just lets the air out of that balloon. And they know that, okay, this person's going to be real with me. This person's going to listen to me. This person's not going to sling some trash in my way. They're actually going to let me try to work things out. And they're going to help me figure it out. Why can't we take that approach with people who are, A, believers who are struggling with their faith. And B, most importantly, unbelievers who are struggling with filling that hole in their lives. Folks, it's not about being right. That's all. Listen, being right has already been settled. Jesus settled the right question on the cross. You don't have to win that argument anymore. Settled, done, over with, right? You win, you win, boom, bing, bang, boom, over. The argument is settled. They can argue, come up with all the crazy things they want, but it all comes back to the answer being Jesus. And that's what we have to leave the door open for. And when when we accept their doubt, their skepticism, and their apathy, We are giving giving to them the permission they need and they're seeking for, they want to explore what it is they're searching for. We're giving them permission to talk to us and say, listen, I will listen to you. May not have the answer for you, may not be able to satisfy your question, but at least I will be here to help you search. I'm going to be here, I'm I'm, going to listen to you. I ended last. Well, we we covered this one. The first thing you have to do if you're going to accept their doubt and their skepticism and their apathy is this: man, you've got to grow a thick skin. <laughs> you've got to grow a thick skin. I'll refer to teenagers once again. If you've ever ministered in a youth ministry or dealt with teenagers in any way in a in a um, a mentorship program out in the in in the uh, in the business world or in the community. <laughs> <laughs> you better develop a thick skin, or else they're gonna send you to jail for beating up a teenager. Because man, those those kids will just especially so you get that you get that one kid or that one group of kids that just wants to make you react. Right? <clears throat> they're going to, they're gonna get you, they're gonna they're gonna goad you, and they're gonna get you to say something, they're gonna get you to uh to just be. Be an adult if it it kills them. You're going to grow a thick skin. And the second thing I left you with last week was this. And I think this is so vitally important for us to understand as Christians, as people carrying the cross of Jesus Christ, ministering to a world that's lost and dying and on their way to hell. Don't Expect Unbelievers to act Think or live Like believers They're not going to do it They're not going to do it They're not going to be that way They're going to be Exactly what they are You know what we would call an unbeliever Who thinks, acts, and speaks Like a believer A hypocrite Because they're not a believer They don't have Jesus in their heart They don't have the Holy Spirit inside them as their conscience leading them down the road of life. So we have to allow them the space to be who they are. Now, that doesn't mean I have to go out and be with them all the time and do what they do. That's not what that means at all. But I don't need to put the expectation on them to follow the Bible as their standard for life in the way that I do. Listen, I can expect people in a a civilized society to express and act in morality. I can expect ethics. I can expect honesty. I can expect, try to expect fairness in business and and those kind of things. But I also have to understand that people that don't have Jesus Christ in their heart and don't have the motivation of the Holy Spirit to be honest and pure are probably going to try to undercut me here and there. Jesus said, the one who takes your coat, takes your shirt, give him your coat as well. Don't go to war over their faith, not with them. Go to war in prayer for their spirit and their soul. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 and 19 says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The word of the cross is folly. It should not come as a surprise to you that the media portrays us as silly, it should not come as a surprise to you that the government does not revolve around your biblical belief. This should not surprise you that our nation is not being led by biblical truth. And we can have that geopolitical argument and discussion if you'd like. And we can talk about whether America was founded as a Christian nation. Or, as I believe, that America was founded as a nation on Christian principles and as a nation of Christians, not a Christian nation. If America has been a Christian nation, we have been a backslidden, horrible example of what Jesus wants a human being to be. Listen, I don't want to associate myself with people who founded this nation, who treated my brothers and sisters of different skin tones the way they treated them and justified it with scripture. If you think that's okay, if you think that's acting like a Christian nation, well, that's probably a conversation that we could have because uh, I think you're way off base. But I think we're a nation filled with, uh, a nation with many Christians that is founded on Christian principles. Our legal system is founded on Christian principles. There's no doubt about that. No doubt about that. It's, it's a fact. but we have to understand that unbelievers are not going to act the way we are. <laughs> As I said last week, you can't legislate morality. You just can't do it. We could pass laws that are moral laws. We could pass laws that attempt to be fair. Laws that attempt to protect and provide and and serve. But you cannot legislate someone's own morality. They're going to live the way they want to live. And here in America, at least, we believe they have the right to. That's just fact. So all, all of us Christians who are wanting to force everybody to follow our way of life because America's a Christian nation, you don't realize you're not acting like a Christian. I mean, you're not acting like an American because America is all about freedom. My, my dad, I had to say thank you to my father. I had to say congratulations to my father and my brother-in-law. Hardest words I have to say this weekend. <laughs> uh, Navy beat Army. There I said it out loud. <laughs> it hurts. Digs deep in the soul. But it's men and women that have filled those uniforms down through the years, that have given their lives and broken and, and given time and given up holidays and birthdays and just time with family so that we can have the right to be free in this nation. And this isn't a political stump speech. This is just Christian. Stop trying to make America follow the dictates of the Bible when, not, when the majority of this country is not Christian. And that's not the way to get people to Jesus Christ. You can't do it. So what do we do with that? Well, you're telling me I can't do it. I'm saying you can't force people to believe. And you can't legislate and make laws so that they're moral and following the Bible. You know what you get? A whole lot of moral sinners who are still dying and going to hell. So what do we do? Well, we let their doubts and their questions motivate us. Let their doubts and their questions motivate you in in certain ways to grow stronger in your faith by building your spiritual muscles. To grow stronger in your faith To dig into the word, to get involved in a Bible study. To start to commit to being... to Listen, if we're saying, what was the number, 87%? 87% of the Springfield, Holyoke metropolitan area hasn't read the Bible in the last week. Listen, man, if we're going to get to that percentage, guess who we're going to have to include? (laughs) A lot of Christians. A lot of born-again believers, followers of Jesus Christ. So how about this? How about we let their questions and their apathy motivate us to strengthen ourselves spiritually first. Get ready for the battle. Get ready for the war. And then let it motivate you to take their point of view and prepare a challenging answer, to see their point of view and prepare a challenging answer. Find out what it is they're saying. Find out what it is they believe. One of our daughters was trying to make the argument that the world is flat. <laughs> when I chuckled. And I said, No, it's round. Oh, no. I, you know. And I got smart. I said, Well, let me ask you a question. If the world is flat and there's a flood, does the water just kind of slosh over the side? Just ask. But she had some real questions. in seventh grade. She had some real questions. So we talked about it. Now, I have experience with that because I actually had a friend, Brian and I, have an older friend who's passed away now, and Zach knows him, that was the leading evangelical in America of the Flat Earth Society. <laughs> Don't lie, man. He really believed it. It's like, dude, it's a sphere, it's not a pancake. Right? But I digress. But in order to answer those questions, I can, I can just say all day, no, no, look, it's, it's, it's round. The earth is round. The earth is round. Well, that doesn't satisfy anybody's curiosity. That doesn't answer a question. We need to have some scientific facts. We need to have an answer. And we can say, like I said, we could say God said it, Jesus did it, I believe it, that settles it all we want. But it doesn't settle it. We need to have answers to answer their questions. We need to have answers to answer. Listen, when they say the Bible contradicts itself, what do you say? Oh no, it doesn't. Well, can you take their can you take their supposed contradiction <clears throat> and prove to them that they're not that it's not true? I saw somebody post this week that the next time a Christian tells you that the Bible says that life begins at conception, tell them the Bible says that. God breathed into man the breath of life and man became a living soul. And they gave some scriptures about the breath entering the lungs. Okay. All right, this is where knowing what your Bible has to say comes into, the, in, in, into play. The Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood, meaning oxygen is taken from the, through, through the systems of the body through the bloodstream. The blood oxygenates the body. That's what breath does. Breath comes into your lungs. Just so happens that, an inf- that, that, that a baby in the womb gets oxygen from the mother. Okay. Oh well, that is okay. How about this? How about if I give you the story? I, I mean, I could give you all kinds of scriptures saying how God knew me when I was in my mother's womb and You formed me. How about this one? This is very appropriate for the season we're in right now. Remember who was who's Je- who was Jesus's cousin? In the Bible, John the Baptist. who was John the Baptist's mother? Elizabeth. Remember when Mary went to visit Elizabeth, they were pregnant at the same time. Mary was pregnant with Jesus. Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist. Remember when Mary the story says Mary walked into Elizabeth? Elizabeth saw Mary. What happened? The, the baby jumped in her womb. Case closed. Maybe not for you, but for me it is. So you can continue to argue that point. You can continue to try to throw the Bible back in my face. But if you want to know what the Bible really says, I'll have that conversation, not in an arrogant way, not in an I'm going to prove my point way, but in a, hey, let's deal with your question here. And here's what the Bible really says, all right? Here's what the Bible really says, all right? It doesn't say what you think it says. This is what the Bible really says. Are you satisfied with that answer? Okay, let's let's shelve that one and move on to the next one. Okay, there's a whole difference between honestly answering questions because you know what the Bible says and having an argument and and stomping your foot like a five-year-old saying, no, it doesn't. It's got to be my way. Let it motivate you to be part of a plan to change the world one life at a time. And I think the next thing we can do when we accept their doubt, skepticism, and apathy is make them curious. Make them curious. Not in a, oh man, you're a weird duck way. Curious about what it is in your life. Why do you do the things you do? You know how that comes about? That comes about by people watching you. That comes about by people observing you. Remember the old adage, people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones? You're in a glass house, folks. My family is not the only one that lives in a fishbowl. We all are supposed to be living in fishbowls as Christians. We are all supposed to be being observed by the world. They'll know we are Christians by our love. They see the way you react and respond. They see the way you express and show your love and your faith to others. And that makes them curious about what makes these people tick. What is it about them that makes them tick? You know what our church, our church is now, we we are, this I was gonna bring this up to the next point, but we are tentatively going to be the home of an East Long Meadow Boy Scout trip. I got a phone call this week. I got a text message from a, uh, a, uh, a woman from our uh, support group. Uh, she's a believer, goes to a different church. And uh, she adopted two boys that are just a little bit older than, than my two youngest sons. And they've been told by the church that sponsors them now that they're no longer welcome. Okay? I don't even want to get into it. Don't want to know why. But they're as of December 31st, they're cutting ties. So she said, would you be interested? I said, absolutely, absolutely, sure. Hey, man, we're praying about these kind of things, right? So when the opportunity presents itself, you jump at it. You don't ask why, God, you say, yes, God. And the scoutmaster called me and he said, uh, said this about our church. He said, I know your church is one that likes to be active in the community. I know your church is one that likes to do things and likes to do good things in the community. So I thought you might be a good fit for us. Wow. Hey, good for you, new life. Good for you, man. You guys are rock stars. Because what you've done through the years is seen by others as a passion to do something positive in our community. Well, all that is is a Boy Scout troop. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. That is a reputation of love for a community. They will know we are Christians by our love. You see, what what one group meant for evil, and I'm not being judgmental, I'm just telling you what I think, God meant for good. New Life is actively trying to find ways to get involved in our community, to reach out to our community, so that we can connect with people in our community and show them Jesus, and we're on the way. And all that work that has been done in the past is showing people that we want to be here for them. We need to get their attention we need to start the conversation we need to be the ones to start the conversation thirdly and i think the most important part after we've prepared after we've gotten our after we've prepared ourselves gotten ready and we've answered their questions and we've shown ourselves to be shown ourselves to be lovers of the souls of people and shown ourselves to be open to them and willing to talk with them and willing to listen and willing to minister to and we show that we have a heart For people and a passion for ministry and we really do believe what the Bible has to say even if we disagree on it at least they know that we believe what we say we believe we're not phonies we're not hypocrites we're not perfect but we're people that truly believe and have a faith once we've done that now we got to take action man and how do you do that well you confront the question you confront the question What is the question? We want to see Jesus. How do I see Jesus? How do I find Jesus? Where do I search for Jesus? Where can I see Jesus? Where is he? If he's this all great and powerful God that you're telling me about, where can I meet him? Where can I see him? How is he represented? we have to confront that question and we have to first ask ourselves this are they seeing jesus in me are they truly seeing jesus in the way i live listen you may be doubting your faith right now you may be struggling with ministry right now you may be maybe you're watching us and you're saying eh, you know what i don't believe in organized religion neither do i but i believe in the church why do I believe in the church? Because Jesus established the church, and the Bible teaches the church. We could go on and on and on. We could ride this merry-go-round, and you know what? It's still going to come down with the answer that Jesus established the church. So let's just shelve that one, okay? It's not organized religion. It's a church. What you need to do is settle the question for yourself, and then confront the question in your life. Okay, is my life? Is the choices I, are the choices that I'm making? Are, is the way I'm living my life every day? Conducting my business? Is the way I'm dealing with people? Is the way I'm representing myself? You know, one of the things that bothered me so much about this summer, we we finally have a, a yard of our own, and I really love garden. I love gardening. I wanted to get my lawn in great shape. I, I really, I couldn't. I just couldn't, I did, I did all I could to mow the lawn before I just couldn't go anymore. Why? Because I want my yard to represent Jesus. I want my yard, I want my home to represent Jesus. I want people to not walk, I know who's gonna drive by and say, oh, Christians live there. You know what they're going to do? They're going to walk by or drive by and say, well, oh, that's beautiful. Well, that, those people care about their home. Listen, God has told me that as human beings, we've been given, uh, we've been given responsibility to take care of creation. So uh, I'm all about that, man. I'll, I'll plant stuff in my yard, and Aaron and I do things with uh, flowers and such, and I love it. And the crowning glory in my yard is my Dodgers banner. (laughs) I mean, that, above all, tells people that people that live here love Jesus. (laughs) Know what I'm saying? That's like the first step. But how are people seeing Jesus in your life? What are you doing to represent him? What are you doing in your life to show them a difference? And then we have to ask ourselves this question. Are people seeing Jesus through our church? Because right now, folks, whether we like it or not, there's a whole lot of un-Jesus-like stuff going on in the evangelical church in America today. (laughs) Cliff, we still can't settle the matter of whether or not black folk and white folk should be able to worship together. Okay? Seriously. Seriously. Seriously, that's where we're at as a church in America. Seriously, how petty and how foolish and how un-Jesus-like can we be when we can't even get over simple matters of truth? Are they seeing Jesus in us? Are they seeing Jesus in the way our church Ministers to our community. Hey, right now, I think people are seeing something in us. But what are we going to do going forward? As we, as we increase our footprint, as we increase our reach, what are we going to do? And how do we do that? That is the question. That is confronting the question that they have. We want to see Jesus. Romans 1:16 and 17. Here's a good start. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Acts 16.30, Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? If we live, Romans 1.16, in such a way that we show to people we're not ashamed of the gospel. Listen, I'm not ashamed of what the Bible has to say. I'm not ashamed of the stands the Bible takes. That's why I take those stands in my life. I'm not ashamed of the political decisions that I have to make as a citizen based on my understanding of the Bible because that's what the Bible says. I'm not going to change it. And I'm not going to rebel against God by taking a different stand. Did you hear that? I'm not going to rebel against God by denying what his word says when I contribute to our democracy. I'm going to let my biblical morality and my biblical compass dictate who I vote for what I vote for, and what I allow. Now, intelligent people can disagree on matters here and there, but that's where I stand. And whether people like that or not, whether people agree with me or not, that's exactly where I'm at. And I believe... That people don't necessarily want everybody to agree with them. But I believe people at least want to know where you stand. And that you're not overbearing and arrogant and attacking with your beliefs. Because we can come to compromise in those kind of areas. In here, we don't compromise the word of God. Out there, we can compromise in the way things are run. But they at least need to know what we believe. And then once we've shown them that we're not ashamed of the gospel, that will lead ultimately, I believe, to the question, sir, what must I do to be saved? Ma'am, what must I do to be saved? C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said this, we must not suppose that even if we succeeded in making everyone nice, we should have saved their souls. A world of nice people, content in their own niceness, looking no further, turned away from God, would be just as desperately in need of salvation as a miserable world and might be even more difficult to save. That's a powerful statement. You can make everybody nice, you can make everybody moral, you can make everybody toe the line, but that doesn't save their soul. Don't just have an answer, be their answer. Don't just have an answer, be their answer. Let their condition fan the flame of your burden. Let the condition of their soul fan the flame of your burden to reach them. Matthew 5, 43 through 45 it says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Man, that's a tough standard to live. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who abuse you. Pray for those who mock you. Pray we don't have that, do we? Man, we are going to flex our muscles. We are going to we're we're going to let our voice be heard. Well, I don't know whether you whether you like him or not, doesn't really matter. Jerry Falwell great evangelist of the 70s, 80s and 90s passed away now. Started Liberty University. was Liberty Baptist College way back then. And he was a controversial figure. I wouldn't have done what he did and get into politics but he did. And it created a lot of enemies and there was one group of people that were especially uh, angry with him and they would pick it everywhere he went. You know Dr. Falwell didn't rail on them and didn't go out with a bullhorn and argue with them. I remember one time in California he was, up, he was at a conference speaking <clears throat> and there was a loud vocal group protesting him and they were being they had signs and they were decrying him. You know what he did? He came out with coffee and donuts. He said, let's talk. Listen, we may not agree but I love your soul and I just want to have that conversation. I don't want to fight you. I don't want to fight you. That's not what I'm here for. Can we just sit down and talk? That's all I want to do. And I think that is a great illustration of the way we need to approach those. Listen, I haven't made anybody my enemy. There is nobody out there that's my enemy because I've made them that. They might make themselves my enemy. They might be an enemy of the cross of Christ but it's my responsibility to reach out to them with the love of Christ to try to bring them over to our side therefore i need to take a heart of compassion when i reach out to them a heart of understanding and we could talk all we want and we're going to sit down and we're going to have a, a a missions group and we're going to take we're going to talk about this and we're going plan things out in January and that's all well and good listen if all we do is talk if all I do is preach a series of messages and we listen to it you can even listen back to it again on uh, iTunes or Podbean or whatever it is you listen to it on you may even want to watch the ser- the, the service all over again or you- on YouTube or Facebook and that's wonderful that's great but if all you do is write things down and watch things and listen and clap along and say oh That's great. That's wonderful stuff. Ask nothing. Above all, get busy. Above all, get busy. David Platt, pastor down in the Washington, D.C. area, said this Radical obedience to Christ is not easy. It's not comfort, not health, not wealth and not prosperity in this world. Radical obedience to Christ risks losing all these things, but in the end, such risks finds its reward in Christ, and he is more than enough for us. Man, we're going to be, we're going to be taking an echelon approach to this whole thing, coming at our community in waves, in waves of love and waves of ministry. I want to see Prayer walkers, people, people driving around the community or walking our community, sowing the seed or, 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 or tilling the seed, tilling the soil, getting it moving, breaking up that hard ground with prayer. Because man, anything we do has to be bathed in prayer. I want to see scouts, people like you that are out there saying, hey, there's a need. Hey, There's something. We, we could take that, man. We could do that. We could get involved in that. Have contact initiators, people that reach out first, try to find that need, and connecting points, ministries that meet needs, and messengers to come and see people, right, to come and see people. And man, that leads us to ministry and teachers and preachers building lives and winning people to Jesus Christ it's an all-hands-on-deck approach. It's a, let's, it's, it, it's a let's see what works. And if it doesn't work, we'll shelve it. If it does work, we'll build on it. If we have to steal the idea, we'll steal the idea. That's fine. If we have to take a Texas idea and kind of tune it up a little bit and uh, take the drawl out and put it to work here in New England, we'll do it. Don't know how many people up here want to cowboy up, but you never know. Well, okay, Melvin, sorry. Bad turn of phrase. (laughs) Isaiah 6, 8 is God's plea to us. It's his statement to us. Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, who will I send? Who will go for us? I don't know about you, but I'm saying this. Here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, send me. And I don't know, I, I have, I don't know about you, but I've lost track of days lately. <laughs> I truly have. And called into sub three times this week and uh, worked the lunchroom twice, come home to four kids. that I'm, We're outnumbered now. <laughs> it's craziness, craziness. The, the, now, I, I love my, don't get me wrong, but I, I love my life, but then my phone rings, and its I always know when Zach is calling me, and it's FaceTime, and my beautiful little Lorelei is gonna have her face right in the middle of that screen. Hi, Poppy. Hi, Poppy. And, and my heart melts. Jack, Coy, and Jack. Hi, Poppy. That's my sanity. You know what? I wouldn't do anything different with my, I wouldn't change a thing. Because my oh my gosh. I can't believe that God has chosen to use me. And I'm saying again, God, here am I. I'm right here. Send me wherever you want me to go. Open any door, and I'm gonna walk through it. I'm telling you, new life, I'm looking for people to follow. I'm looking for people to take the lead. I'm looking for people to help out. I'm looking for people to be willing to reach a community, the most desperate spiritual community in our country with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Michael Kelly said, urgency is not panic. It's not anxiety or acting before we think. It is a sense of insistence that requires steady and often swift action. But why is that? The answer, of course, is simple. It's because the message of the gospel is a message of urgency. We need to be planned, we need to be prepared, but we need to be urgent. We need to get involved. We need to take action now. Why? I think we are the region that is the epitome of what I'm about to say. Because we have relied on generational faith here. And we got comfortable and people just generationally passed down their faith. And that's where grandma goes to church. That's where great grandma went to church. Our, our name is on the wall over here. And that's just where it is. But let me say this to you. Faith doesn't get passed on automatically. It must be intentionally and purposely purposefully planted, watered, and cultivated by the believers of every generation to ensure that the message will continue to change lives and eternity. Folks, that's what true missions is about. Understanding that just because you are a believer in Jesus doesn't guarantee your children will be, doesn't guarantee your neighbor will be, doesn't doesn't guarantee your community will be, the only way that that happens is by getting out there and doing the job yourself. That's true missions. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of being here in your house, the privilege of worship, the privilege of fellowship. Brothers and sisters that love you, that want to make a difference. God, we think of our brothers and sisters right now who aren't able to to be here because of sickness. Father, they're watching us, they're joining us online. Appreciate that. Lord, you've laid before us an open door, and a wide open field. And God, if we could just, if we could visualize that field, it's (laughs) it's a field ready to be harvested, God. And you're pleading with us pray for workers, and to go beyond praying and say, God, I'm right here. Send me wherever you want me to go. Father, as we wrap up 2021 and and enter a new year in just a couple weeks, may the passion we have for you, for your kingdom, for ministry, for this church, and especially for those outside who don't know you. God, may that passion burn hot. Lord, bring into our path. Father, I'm I'm, I'm praying for other believers who are disconnected right now. Would you bring them into the path of new lifers so that we can connect these people who who are just floating along in the ocean. May we connect them with a church where they can get involved. And God, lead us to lost people and open up opportunities and doors for us to be able to share. Father, we love you. Thank you for the truth of your word. And may we go forward from today as worshipers, as servants, as willing participants in your kingdom. It's in your holy, precious name we pray. Amen.